This name of this morning's message is The King in Sheep's Clothing. This is not Palm Sunday, however, <laughs> we are going to look at what happened on the first so-called Palm Sunday, the one that we recognize, that is. It's Jesus' so-called triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Scholars recognize it as the Sunday that Jesus presented himself to Israel as her king. But I submit to you, it was much more than that. It was not only Jesus purposely presenting himself to Israel as her king, but it was also Jesus presenting himself as her high priest and her one and only true Passover lamb. The Old Testament scripture that this comes out of is in Zechariah 9.9. It says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. The fulfillment of this is found in the story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, and it's in all four Gospels. We're going to look at the one in Matthew, because of Matthew's purposeful intention throughout the book of Matthew to portray Jesus as the King of Israel, the long-awaited Messiah. I want to give you some framework. This is the week of Passover. Now, most of us really have no idea what that looked like. Scholars that I've read say, on the average, Jerusalem held normally about 20,000 people. But at Passover, that swelled to about 200,000 people. Imagine trying to house all of them. <laughs> it was overflowing with people. Part of the reason is because part of the Passover is you have to be in Jerusalem and pick out your lamb before the Passover. You also have to go and be quote-unquote, baptized. They had ritual cleansings, and everybody had to participate in this. It takes a long time to baptize 200,000 people. <laughs> and that's a whole lot of lambs, too. Passover is this amazingly large festival, and everyone is so excited about Passover. It's a really big deal for the Jews, and even today it's still a really big deal. That's because they weren't just celebrating what God did 1,500 years before when he brought the Israelites out of Egypt. It was more to them than just that. In um, the book called A Guide to Jewish Holy Days, The History and Observance by Hayan Schaus, it says this, The Jews began to believe that the Messiah would be a second Moses who would free the Jews the self-same Eve, the Eve of Pesach, which is Passover, so Passover became a festival of the second as well as the first redemption. In every part of the world where the Jews lived, especially in Palestine, the Jewish hearts beat faster on the eve of Passover. They beat with the hope that this night the Jews would be freed from the bondage of Rome, just as their ancestors were released from the Egyptian slavery. So the Jewish people weren't just rehearsing what God did 1,500 years earlier. This was a prophetic declaration of what was going to come, that the same kind of deliverer was going to be raised up. And they acted it out throughout this feast. Now, if you remember the last time that we looked at in Matthew about beholding Jesus as our king, we talked about how Daniel in chapter 9 gave them how many years it would be till the Messiah showed up. So they had been counting. They know 
Messiah's gotta be here somewhere. Then this, this might be the Passover where there's a miraculous deliverance. Now imagine that kind of excitement in a city. Imagine if every believer on the face of the earth said, today is the day Jesus is coming. Would we be happy? We would be happy. Now to make matters worse, if you will, to make all this excitement worse, Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. Some scholars say as much as a week earlier. Some scholars say maybe even the day before. So the word has gone out. Jesus is raising people from the dead. (laughs) So now they're going, aha, this just might be him. This just might be him. So there are multitudes of people going out to see Jesus. He's staying with Lazarus and his sisters and probably at the house of Simon the leper, who's no longer a a leper. (laughs) Excitement is everywhere. They are sure this has got to be the Passover when the deliverance comes. So the Messiah fever is at an all-time high. And the common people are spreading the news of Jesus and his miracles everywhere. And people are coming to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And people were coming out of the city in multitudes. I mean multitudes. I don't know how big a multitude is, but I'm pretty sure it's gigantic. (laughs) And these multitudes were following him everywhere he went, not just to see his miracles, but to receive his miracles. In fact, in Mark's gospel account of the triumphal entry, he talks about Jesus stopping to heal blind Bartimaeus. But in Matthew's account, Matthew says, no, there wasn't just one that got healed that day. There wasn't just one who received their sight. There was two. Okay, how would you respond if your blind parent, son, daughter, friend got healed? Who would you be going to get? (laughs) I know a man who's giving people sight. I know a man who's raising people from the dead. I know a man. Let's go see him. That was their excitement. So I want you to get that picture. There are multitudes upon multitudes of people following Jesus. They're in front of him and they're behind him. And there are also in the city, because this is Palm Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday, the city is full and ready. This is the environment where this procession takes place. Jesus' triumphal procession. I'm going to read it to you in Matthew 21, verses 1 through 9. It says this, When they came near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples on ahead and told them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied up and a colt with it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him, The Lord needs them, and that person will send them at once. Now this happened to fulfill, which is one of Matthew's favorite things to say. <laughs> this happened to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet when he said, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble and mounted on a donkey, even on the colt of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their coats on them, and he sat upon them. Many people in the crowd spread out their own coats on the road, while others began cutting down branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Both the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed behind him kept shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. How blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. 
Hosanna means literally save now. Personally, I like that. <laughs> save now, son of David, king of Israel. Save now, Messiah. Save now. And then it says, Hosanna in the highest heaven. This expression, Hosanna, save now, became to simply mean praise God. Because that's what God does, you know, he saves now. <laughs> and when God saves now, praise is our response. But when it says, Hosanna in the highest heaven, what they're saying is, heaven is joining in an agreement with us that God saves now, that today is the day of salvation. So this is what they were shouting in front of Jesus. This was a huge day for Jesus. His presentation as king became a very unusual parade. You ever wonder, how exactly did this parade get going? <laughs> what happened? I mean, did it just sort of erupt? What was going on? He obviously had some part in arranging this, because he's the one that sent the disciples ahead to get the donkey and the colt, so that he could purposely present himself just as Zechariah had predicted. Unlike the other prophecies regarding the Messiah that Jesus fulfilled without having to lift a hand, this one he purposely and voluntarily participated in. How did Jesus orchestrate a parade? He didn't. But he did purposely, with forethought, decide that this was the day he was to present himself. Sometimes you know what God calls you to do and you have to step into it, right? God doesn't make you. You have to choose it. Well, guess what? Jesus didn't have to do what he was called to do. He had to choose it. Jesus was fully human, and he had to step out in faith just like we do. He had to trust that God knew exactly what he was doing. Now, we say that so easily, but Jesus was human like us. Yes, he was divine, but he didn't walk in the omnipotence of the Father while he was here on earth. He had to trust the voice of his Father to step out and do what his Father called him to do when he called him to do it. And today was the day to step out as a king and make the decision, I'm going to present myself to Israel because once you do that, there's no going back. And he did. Jesus knew that his coronation as king over Israel would not be some glorious event with golden crowns full of jewels and royal scepters. He knew his crown would be made of thorns and his scepter would be a broken reed. Jesus knew that being king of Israel could not be separated from being her Passover lamb. He purposely presented himself according to scripture by riding a donkey so that he could present himself as a different kind of king. Different from what they were expecting. The Jews were expecting a mighty conqueror, someone who could and would lead a revolt against Rome itself and somehow miraculously overcome. They were expecting somebody who should be riding a horse. Throughout the course of biblical history, Horses were mounted by kings and princes and conquerors and soldiers. To ride a horse implied war. It implied conquering military power. And it implied that you were somebody that the governing authorities should take very seriously. In fact, at that time, Roman soldiers would purposely ride their horses through the streets of Jerusalem during the feast days just to remind the Jews, you're not in control. I don't care how many of you there are here. We have all the power, and we will use it. 
So they were looking for somebody who could put an end to that governmental authority. People in government, that kind of government, never rode a donkey. But if a representative from a foreign government wanted to come and visit you peacefully, and I love that, a representative of a foreign government, that's who Jesus was. He was the representative of a whole different kind of kingdom, wanted to come peacefully. So he purposely rode a donkey because he wanted to present himself as a king of peace. See, Jesus didn't come to take over. He didn't want to challenge the Roman government like most of the Jewish population did. He had no problem with the Roman government. He wasn't trying to take over the Roman government. His eyes were set on something far bigger than the Roman government. The power of the darkness behind the Roman government. That's what he came to take care of. So Jesus presented himself as a king who was coming in peace. And scripture tells us that there is a king of peace. He was also known as the king of Salem, and it was none other than Melchizedek. In Hebrews 7, 1 through 3, it says this, For this Melchizedek, the king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. Now we already know who this is. <laughs> and then he is also king of Salem, the king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God. He continues a priest forever. Hebrews seven fifteen through 17 says this. He becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. It is witness of him. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The crowd said, oh, he's presenting himself as king. Yay, he's going to take over the government. And he's like, I'm not just a king. I'm not a king of war. I'm a king of peace. And I am also coming as the high priest of a new covenant. This happened to be the day that the high priest on earth was to lead the Passover lamb into Jerusalem. This was no ordinary day that Jesus chose to do this. You see, there was a parade every year. And most Christians don't know that. They don't realize there was already this parade happening every year. What happened was the high priest in the temple would leave the temple and go out to the fields of Bethlehem and pick out the Passover lamb. When he did that, he brought hundreds of priests with him who lined both sides of the street with their palm branches. This was a procession that happened every year as the high priest would march through the streets to go and get the Passover lamb and lead the lamb back to the temple where it would sit for four days to make sure it was perfect. When the high priest came back to the city, they would see him coming with the lamb. All of the priests would start waving their palm branches and singing Psalm 118. Actually, 113 through 118, but 118 in particular. I want you to see part of 118, verses 20 through 29. This gate of the Lord, into which the righteous shall enter, I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and thou art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, 
It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now. That's Hosanna. Save now. I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, which has shewed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. So this parade happened every year. They are declaring the one true king of righteousness and peace. He is the lamb that comes. He is the lamb that comes to the temple. He comes to be the Passover sacrifice. This happened every year. But Jesus is having his own parade on the other side of town. <laughs> So you have the temple high priest on one side of town, on the northern side, and on the eastern side, you got the real high priest of a new and better covenant, who is himself the lamb, coming. And the same things are happening on both sides of town. And what's going to happen is they're going to come together. The two parades are going to collide. Some scholars believe that the earthly high priest actually got stuck outside of town <laughs> because Jesus' parade was so much bigger because Jesus was healing people on the way into town. He's raising the dead on the way into town and everybody's hearing what Jesus is doing on the way into town and this is a Messiah they've been looking for and waiting for. And then what happens is when the, all of Jerusalem, the 200,000, some people think the crowds even swelled to as much as 3 million. They're all Jews coming for Passover, and they hear the parades, they hear the shouts, they hear, save now! Today is the day of deliverance! Today is the day of salvation! Today he's coming! They all come running with their palm branches and cedar boughs, and they come and they throw them before Jesus! Because he's the only high priest they see. <laughs> Where's that other guy? <laughs> In the midst of this crowd, it isn't just the people who know it isn't just the people who care. It isn't just the people who are hoping. There are also some good old-fashioned Pharisees in there. <laughs> and they stop Jesus. They're looking at what he's doing and going, you can't be doing this. The real high priest is on the other side of town. He's bringing the Passover lamb. Make your disciples stop this. Make them stop right now. Jesus has a word or two for them. <laughs> it says, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said unto him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Because what were they singing? Hosanna! Save now! Highest heaven joins in the decoration. Heaven agrees with us. Save now! Jesus says, you don't have to agree. All the stones will. <laughs> All creation knew. All creation knew this was the high priest and the Passover lamb. And Luke 19, 41 and 42 says this, And when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it. He's coming into town, he can see the whole city. And when this word that says wept, doesn't mean a couple of little tears. This was the heart of anguish. 
It means to wail loudly. Think how out of character that must have looked. Everybody is praising him. They're throwing down their clothes. They're throwing down their palm branches. This is the Messiah. This is the king. And he starts wailing over Jerusalem. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. An earthly king doesn't make for peace. A Passover lamb makes for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. 1943 says this. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. The phrase, the time of your visitation, can be literally interpreted the season of your grace. You did not recognize grace when it came to you. You didn't recognize grace when it was offered to you. Jesus knew the only way for the Jews to escape the coming horrors that would come in AD 70 would be if they received the grace that they were crying out for that day. They had to be saved now. They had to receive grace now. And it would only come through his sacrifice as the Passover lamb. And all of his heart wanted them to receive it. His heart broke because he could not make them choose him. He couldn't make them choose grace. And his heart broke. In Luke 13, 34 and 35, it says this. This is Jesus crying over Jerusalem at an earlier date. And he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often I would have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings. And ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For verily I say unto you, you shall not see me until the time come when ye shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. That is that day. All of Jerusalem was crying over Jesus. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna on high. And he wept again. Decisions cannot be reversed. We can change our mind later sometimes. But if you reject Christ, there is. There is no other salvation. And that's what broke his heart. When we see Jesus weeping over Jerusalem and wailing over Jerusalem, he is perfect theology. Jesus is perfect theology. If we want to know what our Father is like, we look to Jesus. Jesus wasn't just weeping quietly. He was in agony over those who would refuse him. That is our Father's heart today. He weeps over those who will not. We see our Father's heart in this because through Jesus Christ, the way has been made for all to come. The gates of the heavenly temple have been thrown wide open for whosoever will. But God and Jesus cannot make people choose, even though that is his greatest desire, is that they would choose him. It is God's desire that none should perish and that all should come to repentance. After some period of time, it doesn't tell us. They continue on with the parade. 
It doesn't look like Jesus' tears impacted anybody but except maybe his father. With shouts of Hosanna and palm branches and cloaks and people declaring him, he has got to be the Messiah. He has got to be the one who's coming to deliver us. So these parades collide somewhere along the line. And Jesus, as the high priest, leads himself, the lamb, to the temple where he is examined for four days, just like the literal lamb. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Herodians, and anybody else who's got a problem with Jesus came to talk to him during those four days. And they could find no fault in him. So they had to make up some stuff. They had to get some false witnesses and some false accusations. Eventually, Jesus is crowned the king of the Jews. And it is on Passover, but it's not by the Jews. It's at the hands of Pilate's men. In Matthew 27, 27 through 31, it says this. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him. And they took the reed and they smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him and put his own raiment on him. And they led him away to crucify him. Jesus knew that he would be crowned the king of Israel. Not just on Passover, but as the Passover. The Passover sacrifice. According to Jewish tradition, The lamb had to be skinned and gutted, and its intestines were removed and cleansed, and then they were placed on the top of the lamb. The lamb would then be pierced through with a wooden stake, and it would be placed in an oven to roast. It became known as the crowned sacrifice. The Old Testament Passover sacrifice, the lamb, is different from any other prescribed sacrifice in the Old Testament because it preceded the law. It was the sacrifice that brought the deliverance of an entire nation, brought them out of every kind of slavery into a covenant with God. This Passover sacrifice was about covenant. If you have a new covenant, you have to have a new high priest and you have to have a ratified sacrifice. The blood of Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, our crowned sacrifice is applied to the doorposts of our heart and to the mercy seat in heaven. Our high priest, Jesus Christ himself, presented the blood of the Passover lamb, his own blood in the Holy of Holies, so that judgment and wrath would pass over us and we could be partakers of a new covenant. It is through Jesus, our crowned Passover sacrifice, that we are delivered from the kingdom of darkness and we are translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. But the only way for us to be able to enter this kingdom was for the king of kings to be clothed in sheep's clothing. He had to come as a lamb. The king had to lay down his life and become our personal sacrifice. So today we have even more reason to celebrate than they did. 
We can shout like the Jews did. We can praise him and greatly rejoice. We can and should let the world know he saves now. He heals now. He delivers now. Today is the day of salvation. The sacrifice has come. The king sits on his throne. We can't stand by and let people miss their season of grace. We've got to tell the story of the crowned sacrifice. We need to participate. We need to shout for joy at the truth of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us on our behalf. Our King has come. In the book of Revelations, it doesn't describe Jesus as a king in royal regalia. It describes him as the lamb slain sitting on the throne. He forever reigns because he is forever our crowned sacrifice. He has taken all of our guilt. He has taken all of our shame. He has translated us into his kingdom. And now we too are kings and priests to our God. Amen. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that we can declare Jesus saves now. Jesus delivers now. Jesus heals now. Father, we thank you that in Christ we are partakers of the divine nature. We rejoice in the crowned sacrifice. We agree with heaven that everything that Jesus has done is ours. We choose to walk in all that you have for us. We choose to believe in you. We choose to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. We choose to declare to the world, Jesus Christ saves now. Do not miss your season of grace. We refuse to miss your season of grace. Father, we receive your word into our hearts. We receive the truth of who you are and what you've done. Amen.